Welcome to Ongo Podcast. Today's date of recording is March 7th, 2022. We've got a whole bunch of topics to cover, considering we've been off the airwaves for uh, a few weeks here and there. Uh, Obviously, some big items that we're going to lead off with. You know, very quickly, just want to throw out a big fuck Putin. We've made some some jokes in the past, often at the at Russia and Putin's expense. And uh, Donnie, I've never felt more justified uh, by a lot of our, our stances in this podcast uh, than than right now. Uh, so we're gonna, I think, have a bit of a discussion into some of the complexities revolving the just kind of global interconnected system and where soccer and sports come into play. And then we'll obviously cover a whole bunch of other stuff like U.S. men's national team. Europe leagues and of course Champions League. But first, it's in, it's an It's a gift. Oh, it's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. It goes straight into the bottom of the corner, bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball. It's the inside of his car. So if you've been living under a rock the last few weeks, then if, if, we, if you're getting this news... Good for you, honestly. I'm jealous if you've been living under a rock. If you're getting this news from this podcast, you need professional help. Like, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, you need to seek professional help. But obviously, fuck Putin. And because he had Russia's army invade the Ukraine and... That is now creating a geopolitical crisis and a war and innocent people are dying and innocent people are suffering and those are all really fucking terrible things. Um, But, and not obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Ukraine. Certainly nobody's thoughts and prayers are with Putin. I mean, honestly, like there might, there might be, but those people also need to seek professional help, but they probably won't be. Um, So as it relates to kind of, you know, talking about post-Soviet Union politics and the intersection of that in the 21st century is not something that I'm particularly an expert in, Uh, Eric? I mean, I was a political science major. I did focus mainly on law politics of the Supreme Court of the United States. So there's not too much... um, you know, crossover with the uh, yeah the, the fall of the Soviet Union, but I, you know I've I've got enough to, to sound like an idiot, right? Uh, which is pretty much how you can describe my intelligence level on on almost any topic. But the way kind of all of this comes to head in terms of this podcast um, is the fact that FIFA and UEFA have banned and, and, and EA Sports and EA Sports. That's an important one. Have banned the Russian national team and Russian club teams from competing in any internal uh, international <laughs> competitions. Excuse me. That was a. Uh, that was Wait, a I don't. Dude, I don't know how Putin would react if FIFA was like, "You cannot have any internal competitions." I don't. I don't. I don't know if they could enforce that one. So obviously, this is in response to not just Ukraine invading, or I'm sorry, being invaded. <laughs> By Russia. So yeah. I think I'm, I'm in an alternate timeline <laughs> where you, the Ukraine invaded Russia for whatever reason. But also the teams in Russia's group, most pertinently Poland, um, 
Who are the other two teams in their group for the World oh, Cup? Oh, Poland, Czech Republic, which is a big one, and I'll touch on that for historical purposes. Yeah. And then also Sweden stood with them in, in solidarity. And, and Sweden probably has less of an immediacy um, cause to action, but – and I'll, I'll probably get into this as we have this conversation. Um, sure. The, but, but these teams, as you're saying, all pretty quickly and swiftly, you know, first right right after the invasion, first said that they will not play in Russian soil because Russia was slotted to host the game against Poland, and then if they won, they would have hosted the game against one of the other two. So the teams, the the, the you know FAs immediately came out and said they will not play in Russia, and then like a day later, before FIFA even I think had its first response, came out and said after some of their key players were saying that we will not play a, any Russian team or players uh, in, in this in this World Cup qualifying tournament. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're so not going to play, and there were calls for uh, Russia to be banned from the ability to qualify for the World Cup, and FIFA banned Russia's national team from the World Cup as well as their club teams from well, FIFA FIFA did not ban them from the uh, you know from European competition. Right, that was UEFA. And and the it's interesting because FIFA came out with that first statement of Russia will not be allowed to play in Russia. They will not be able to have the name Russia on anything. No flag, no anthem. Um, that was what that was FIFA's you know stance. And meanwhile, UEFA there were leaks that UEFA was about to boot Russian teams from from. Club competitions, and at that point, FIFA was like, "Yo, UEFA, let's let's talk because we can't have you guys going a step further when everybody is saying that. You know, not everybody, but a lot of people are saying that our our action is not not enough." So I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I wonder if UEFA didn't take any action, would FIFA have actually felt more secure in their initial stance and not? Yeah, Be- only because only because FIFA does not have a track record. Of, and I'm not saying doing the right or doing the wrong thing. They don't have the track record of going against the money, which this is, this is a decision that very well went against a lot of the money that comes into FIFA. Yeah, and UEFA in terms of different sponsorships with uh, like Gazprom, Russian state yeah. companies, um, essentially. So, as you, we, what one thing that is very clear is that nobody on this podcast is in any way supporting what. Putin is doing or what Russia is doing that is unequivocally wrong. That is a very black and white issue. Just we're all on the same page there. There are two schools of thought with regard to the decision to ban the Russian clubs from competitions and Russia from a chance to qualify for the World Cup. And we are on different sides of this in terms of being pro... being pro this decision and against this decision. Yes. So, and we're not going to go in a back and forth debate. I think Eric will just kind of sum- summarize the pro position. I will summarize the against position, and then we're just going to move forward. Yeah. And my position is honestly centered around the World Cup. I, I couldn't give two shits about the Europa League, so I don't care. Uh, and that, that's that's just how it is. So, but but I guess to start off on the club level, the first thing that was done was UEFA removed the Champions League final from St. Petersburg. 
Which I was pro. I want to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was I, pro I, of every decision except for banning teams. I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because there's nobody outside of you know Russia who is against that idea. I mean, actually, well, maybe some people in China because China. But, but, well. And wait, on that note, if you go on Amazon and type in soccer ball, you can get an Adidas Champions League St. Petersburg final <laughs> ball for like twenty bucks. They are very cheap. I am ordering one. Uh, so just go to Amazon. You can get the St. Petersburg Champions League final match ball, 20 bucks. It's, it's like how the, the day after the Super Bowl, you can get the losing team Super Bowl champion t-shirts for like a dollar. <laughs> so, so that, 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 I mean, that was the first uh, thing that happened and obvious. The game got moved to Paris. It, it'll be a great spectacle. Uh, and so... My my pro stance for like yeah we got to actually boot Russia from the World Cup is two pronged. First and foremost, let's look at the let's look at the three countries in their qualifying quad, right? Three other countries. So there's obviously Russia. There is their first round of would be first round opponent Poland, and then their potential second round matchup either with Sweden or the Czech Republic. There is very few countries, very, very few countries who have better cause to be alarmed, pissed off, and call for immediate action of the highest order to prevent a neighboring European power to start seizing sovereign land of another country. Uh, what, you know, a lot of... A lot of Pundits and and what the Twitter reporters are are saying is Europe hasn't seen an action like this since Hitler started expanding Nazi Germany, and Poland had a lot of experience with that plight. So I, I, I that, that makes a lot of sense. And then for the Czech Republic to say this say the same thing, those of you who are not politically inclined may not know that. The Czech Republic used to be the former uh, Republic of Yugoslavia, which was under Soviet control and had a, a violent coup to get freedom away from Soviet oppression. And just now see Putin uh, go to Ukraine, who he has always, always believed Ukraine doesn't exist. Ukraine was always a, was a part of the Soviet Union, always will be a part of the Soviet Union. And if he feels that way about Ukraine, he probably feels that way about a lot of the, the countries in the Baltics. He probably feels that way about some of these other Soviet satellite states like Yugoslav, like Yugoslavia was. Uh, so like, it's, it, it's hard for me to see that and say, nope, I think they're going a bridge too far. I, I get it. The other thing is, you know, and, and I have a feeling your your comments, uh, you'll you have a couple of different points, but I think one of them will bridge on you're punishing the players and you're not punishing the bad actors with with this, uh, this plan. And unfortunately, in a uh, oligarchy that Putin has so well insulated himself into in Russia, you have very limited options on what you can do to directly punish the bad actors, right? Sanctions are put into place. 
and making some things uncomfortable for Putin's higher uh, inner circle. But what you also have to do is, unfortunately, make, you know, put into place things that are going to make things uncomfortable for Russia and for Putin on the internal political front. You know, some of these national bank sanctions that are coming through are going to make the Russian economy very volatile and make it very hard for average Russian people to kind of live the way they have pre-sanctioned. And that sucks. And that's shitty. But to a certain point, if we do nothing, you then have – you run into the instance of appeasement. And we saw what happened in the 30s and 40s when we appeased a power land grabbing hungry dictator uh, in, in Europe. So like it, it, it sucks, but I, I, I think it's, it has to be done. You know, we can't have a nuclear, a nuclear superpower go to a neighboring sovereign land and say, you've never existed as a country and you've always been a part of us. So now we're going to shell and bomb your residential areas. We're going to have no regard for civilian life and take what we've always believed is ours. And that's, that's my, my two points in a very, very long nutshell or a big nutshell. So I have kind of probably kind of four key points where I kind of come that, you know, kind of against this decision to ban Russia from having a chance to qualify for the World Cup. Um, number one is the fact that the World Cup has never been used for this sort of political leverage or sanctioning or to send a message. That is not what the World Cup is about. The World Cup is that for a one period of time every four years, whatever else is going on in the world doesn't matter. 32 countries come together, putting aside every other difference, every disagreement, every other issue they may have, and they just play the game of soccer, the best fucking sport in the world. The World Cup, that's how it's always been. Dovetail to that is the fact that there will not be an even application of this in the future. And I think that you're out to lunch if you think FIFA is going to fairly apply this standard going forward with other similar atrocities. So to me, you know, yeah, one of my points is obviously the Russian soccer players have nothing to do with what's going on in Ukraine. But it's not just that. It's that in a future situation, we're not going to see the same standard applied. And, I, and it's because it's and it's because it's FIFA who gets to decide it, which we know is a joke of an organization. And people want to, you know, people say, well, you know, that's kind of the cost. You know, we got to do something. But you know, it, it's baffling to me to see some of those top top oligarchs like Robin Ibrahimovich not get sanctioned by the United Kingdom, not get sanctioned by the United States who's much more of a key figure, and I know the United States and FIFA aren't the same thing, but to see these FIFA, these soccer players have to suffer. You know, and you know, I had some couple of personal details about some of their players I wanted to highlight, but I'm not going to get into that. When you equate the actions of a government, especially a dictatorship, to its people, it breeds prejudice against those people. 
And that's what sucks. It sucks that an eight-year-old girl going to school in Ireland is getting accosted and saying, stop fucking killing Ukraines, bitch. It sucks that restaurants in Washington, D.C. that are Russian-owned are getting vandalized. And for me, it's a lot reminiscent of the travel ban a few years ago against certain countries because of what their governments were doing. And so it's just my largest concern of all is the prejudice that it breeds. And I think that those guys should have a chance to play soccer. It's not their fault that they're Russian. But, you know, the decision is the decision. We move on. That's all I got on that one. We can all agree it sucks for the seven guys on Spartak Moscow who are not Russian, who do not get to play in that Europa League game. That was, they did, that was tough. They should, they should let those get those seven guys play, and the and RB Leipzig has to play only seven players as well. Oh, a so seven, that would be sevens. great. Just do sevens? No, they just tell Spartak Moscow, you can't play any Russian players. So they just have to, like, they're bringing up these 16-year-olds from the academy. But... The, the where we there is common ground is that what Russia is doing and what Putin is doing is wrong, and it does suck for the Russian national team that they can't go to the World Cup. I think yeah. even people who are pro the ban, you do feel for those guys; they don't have a chance. Oh no, I'm a heartless bastard. Well, birth. No, of course, but we also we we, we had decided ahead of time we're not going to give back and forth on. Yeah. yeah so no. we we are. We're gonna move into a you know a much a much uh, lighter subject. Oh, Anything really? Else? I was gonna say a much darker topic. <laughs> so we haven't really potted since the last uh, U.S. men's national team uh, international window, and I, I can't imagine that, that the results of that last window and our pod uh, frequency are related at all, Donnie. I don't, I don't, I don't know about you. Um. It's not the it, honestly six points out of out of th- out of three eight nine possible. I could have lived with the results if Greg Berhalter didn't say what he said after the Canada match, and that's putting the cart before the horse. But that's what really. But that's also, what put I, don't, me over the edge. I, I don't know if we I don't know if we need to spend too much time on the other two. We'll kick it off with the first game of that window was USA El Salvador at home, one nothing. Donnie, who provided the goal? Dude, Anthony Robinson. The fact that I'm having to attack this Atlanta United fan account by this one guy <laughs> who's saying that, like, George Bello should start over Anthony Robinson. Yeah. What? Take away his goals in qualifying, and we're not going to the World Cup. Fact. Like, Anthony no, Robinson— we're, we're, we're in, like, fifth place without his goals. Anthony Robinson is the starting left back. Does his game have some something to be desired? Yes. Does he need to improve his final product? Absolutely, but you know what? I almost does, all of our but, guys have something to be desired. But does he need to improve more than George Bellow does? No. <laughs> yeah. So get the fuck out of here with that. We did not play particularly well against El Salvador. Shocker. <laughs> what? And, what? One, and once again, we just relied on a magical moment from one guy to see us through, and that's kind of what happened. So I'm going to skip to the final game of the window, and then we'll double back to the Canada game. I think that makes sense because of the amount of time we're going to spend on the Canada game. Final game was USA-Honduras. Another home game. Yep. Gets bottom of the table, Honduras. 
And two two of those goals, we, we won three nothing. Two goals came from the usual suspects, and the third goal came from somebody who I think we owe a proper shout out on the pod for his performances in the U.S. over the last you know year year and a half, and for his man bun. And for his, no, I will not. I don't like man buns, but you can do that. So obviously, the, the I almost tricked you into it. The, yeah, you almost, you almost got me. The usual suspects that scored uh, the first and third goal: Weston McKinney mm. and our boy uh, Slump Lord Christian Pulisic. Uh, mm. And I think we'll, we'll talk about him maybe a little bit more. When we we touch on Chelsea in the mm. Premier League cover, but uh, does feel like this that was a, it was an easy goal that kind of just fell to him that he was able to to scrap it in there. But it kind of seems like that may have helped give him a little bit of a jump start. That oh yeah. Speed. So that was really good. But Donnie, the second goal. Who who put that second goal in? Walker Zimmerman. Wow. We we would not have seen that one coming. No. But he has done an incredible job of making sure that he delivers strong performances almost every time he plays for the U.S. Uh, over the, you know, really since the the summer, the games that we played last summer, and moving forward, he, I have concerns about him against like super speedy teams, you know, like Canada, perhaps, but he does have good positional awareness, and he he's, wins every ball in the air. I'll give him credit for that. He's incredibly good aerially, and. You know, we got to throw out there too. I think well, all three goals came either directly or indirectly off of set pieces. Yeah, Kellen Acosta can wh- was whipping in some great balls. Incredible. So uh, that was a much needed uh, win. Very tense because of what happened the game before. And the game before was away to Canada. Massive game. Canada was without their best player and the best player in Concacaf, Alfonso Davies. So there was a really good opportunity for the U.S. to grab some points there and even win it. If I have to sum up that game, that performance by the U.S. in one word, and the tactics of the team in one word, the only word that can come to mind for me is pathetic. I mean, nothing... (laughs) Nothing... Embodies that sentiment more than MLS Greg's post-match conference when asked about you know how he felt about about this performance. To what he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was proud or he was happy with the performance because we quote unquote controlled possession in in, the, in his four four three three uh, was that his four three three. Uh, formation. He was happy because we controlled possession, even though we had... Did we have any significant chances on goal? No. And it's not just that he said we controlled possession. He used the word we were dominant. He said we were the dominant team. Canada could have won that game 4-0, by the way. Yeah. Just because... Also, they won it 2-0. when we didn't have any threat on goal. Nothing. This is the Pep Guardiola school of thinking that having more, like slightly more possession or more possession means you dominated the game. To me, I've but, always judged a game by the team that creates the most chances is the most dominant team. As at least when Pep is saying that, 
he says that in games where they lose, they dominated possession, you know, on, on the statistics, they at least generated dangerous opportunities. They just weren't clinical. Yes. Like, True. like Greg, Greg's system, it, it's, it's, we have to control the ball. We have to have more of the ball. There's no clear defined product or, or way for these players to link up together, to challenge defenders, to make runs. We basically have to get lucky on set pieces. Yeah, or somebody has to do something individually brilliant. Here's my question. Why the fuck did Ricardo Pepe not start this game? I, and more disturbing, why did Jossi Zardin start? I, 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 I have no words. I have absolutely no words. Justice Artis didn't do a single goddamn thing this entire game. Except fall, like, three times. And he turned the ball over. I think his first three touches were were, give, were, ball, were given back to Canada. Canada had a clear plan. They were very well coached. It was... Without, and, and they were missing the best player in, in, in... The region. In the region, yeah. Their plan was... Let them fuck around with the ball at midfield and in their own third. Doesn't bother us. Press them when they cross midfield and hit them on the counter. And my God, were they good at it. We just... Not only that, but they kind of out-physicaled us, too. Yeah. No, oh, they, they, they were not... I mean, they, 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 their challenges had bite, you know, in the midfield. And not in a and, dirty way, just in a physical way. I don't think they were playing dirty. In, in, in a way that you would expect to see... Both the U.S. and Mexico go into challenges against each other. Yes, exactly. You know, there was there was a bit of nastiness to them in the sense of like you know they 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 didn't care if they were going to get whistled for a foul or two. Their goal was to either win the challenge or the bare minimum put you on the ground. And to be honest, this is a kind of a concern about this U.S. national team, despite their talent. Outside of Weston McKinney. It feels like a bit of a soft team. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, 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 some of this could be just their natural stature. Uh, some of it could be not having the mentality. And also some of it is, is, is I think, some youth. You know, Eunice Moon says, what, 18 years old? So, like, he, he, he could become a bit more physical, a bit more, more get a bit more of a mean streak in him. But, but I don't know. Uh, I'll say this. A, a team takes the identity of the coach. The best attitude, example... Attitude reflects leadership. Yeah. Two great examples of that in the club game are Atletico Madrid. Oh, Diego gosh. Simeone was the son of a bitch of a soccer player, but he was highly effective. He was the hardest working player on the field, and he was a dirty motherfucker. And he's the master of the dark arts. Yeah, he's a dirty motherfucker on the field. Uh, Atletico, you know, Atletico yeah. Madrid are a hardworking team, and they're dirty motherfuckers. But even a little guy like Jao Felix, in that team, he has some bite. Yes, because he does. Because that's, that, that's the identity of the team. But also, it's well known that Jao Felix probably has, you know, bottom three amount of bite on that roster, right? Oh, what? without and, a doubt. And, and you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I know how the first day of training goes every year at Atletico Madrid. You've seen the original Mighty Ducks, right? I have. You know when... Uh, and I know you're talking about the live when, action. When, when you when, say the original, you're talking about the live action and not, when, the, not the cartoon when, Duck and Horns. When Gordon Bombay realizes his team is really bad, 
He decides to dedicate the entire next practice to taking dives, to tripping opponents, and to, to teaching his players how to cheat properly and, and maybe get away with it. I am absolutely confident that is the first day of training every year is, is what Diego Simeone runs. The I believe the chant is, take the fall, act indignant. <laughs> uh, but, you know... This U.S. team has there. Greg doesn't instill any discipline in them. He doesn't even a young guy like Musa under the right coach would be wouldn't feel as soft. A lot of our guys just feel soft. It's because our coach is a nice guy. He's a soft guy. You know, he wears cool fucking sneakers. He, and he collects behind, mugs. And, yeah, and he and he does behind the back passes, but it's just. We have we throughout this entire qualifying cycle, outside of that game against Mexico and forty five minutes against Costa Rica, we we don't play with any cohesion. I don't understand. I don't know what our identity is except have possession, but we don't do anything with it. <laughs> what our playing style makes no sense to me. We 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 honestly relate that kid who doesn't who doesn't really want the toy. It's only when somebody else has it he wants it. And then when he gets it, he doesn't know what to do with it because it turns out he didn't actually want it in the first place. That's what Greg is with the ball. He wants us to have it, but he has no idea what to do with it when, when we have it. And, and you know, there was an interview. I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. Maybe it was James Sands or somebody uh, was talking about how the tactics that Greg, Greg is trying to, to get everybody to under to like uh, to do are so absurdly complicated that you that it's impossible, especially for like newer people to camp to pick up what he wants them to do offensively in various scenarios in two weeks' time. You, you, it's not it's not plausible, uh, which I thought was interesting because we've always thought Greg has no idea, no tactics. It's also possible that his tactics are not non-existent they're just so shit and, and convoluted that it's not easy or possible for a team to build the chemistry that you need understanding with these complex tactics right international soccer is almost always way more surface level tactic wise right it's, yeah. it's it's pretty simple it's it's getting numerical advantages attacked maybe switch the field different teams want to do different things but it's it's pretty high level and then you just rely on your your players outperforming the the other players with 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 numbers in various scenarios, uh, but it sounds like Greg is like you know if A then do do one if B do two if C D E you got to do X Y and Z if you know situations Z Beta and Omicron you got to do you know put your thumb up your butt and and, and prance around I don't know but it's Whatever it is, it's not fucking working. Also, as as a side note, that first Canada goal is why I prefer Zach Steffen to Turner. Because that was just terrible distribution. Yeah. That gave Canada the ball in the attacking third. And in the modern game, goal your goalie has to be able to play with his feet a little bit. That's just what yeah, the game is. I, I don't need my goalie to be able to get assists, right? I don't need my goalie to have the pinpoint long balls that jumpstart the attack. But you're right. What I need my goalie to do is not gift the opposing team a goal. Or at least, don't, can't give them a scoring chance. 
Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're going to, in a couple of weeks, we're going to preview the games that are coming up at the end of the month in more detail. But just taking a look at the standings, we are just in a rough spot. You have Canada at 25 points. And then it's kind of a log jam of USA and Mexico, both on 21, Panama on 17, and Costa Rica at 16. And our last three games are against those three teams right under us, Mexico, Panama, and Costa Rica. And Mexico and Costa Rica are away. We've we've only ever lost at Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying. And only one time have we not lost at Mexico, and that was a draw. Good news is the Panama game's at home. A win against Panama at home puts us, what, seven points ahead of Panama? Yes. Which would mean they mathematically could not pass us yep. at that point. What we really, really need to hope hope for is, you know, technically Canada haven't uh, secured top three yet. They need one more result to do so. Their first game is against Costa Rica. If they can at least draw Costa Rica, then a win against Panama mathematically also makes us safe against Costa Rica too because we would then be seven points ahead of Costa Rica if we were to beat Panama. So like, there's a very good chance we only need to beat Panama. There's also a very, very good chance that we have to get at least one point at Mexico or Costa Rica which we have almost never, ever been able to do. Oh, and also, we don't have our most informed, maybe most important player, Weston McKinney, who's done for the season. And it sounds like our top two goalies we will not have. Yeah. Also, we still have to beat Panama, too. Oh, yeah. No, that I'm, that's those two pieces are going to... And, and, you know, Gio Reyna came back from injury and got hurt again. And they're hopeful that he'll be back before the World Cup camp. But it's... It's getting pretty close. Yeah. So, and we, so we're going to dive into those games. We're going to preview those in a few weeks. Just that Canada game was just, like I said, pathetic. And only more pathetic was our manager acting like, you know, we were unlucky to not win that game. That his arrogance in that press conference in, in light of clear reality was just, I just, I was fucking besides myself, truthfully. Yeah. Uh, just a quick temperature check. How are you feeling about our odds to qualify right now? I think we're going to get in. I think we're just going to squeak in. I think we'll get some luck. We'll get the luck. We'll get lucky results other places. I think we'll just squeeze in. For me, you know, I, 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 I fully anticipate we lose at Mexico. Because Greg has shown he is tactically inept at preparing his team for road games. And we don't play well in Azteca. So it's really going to come down to me is if, if Costa Rica can tie or beat, uh, or if, if Canada can tie or beat Costa Rica, I'll feel like we will be, that will be the outside help we need to get it done. Yeah. If Costa Rica win that game, I will probably feel like we we'll be lucky to get the fourth place spot. Because if Costa Rica beat Canada, then they're probably on a, on a, a streak of form where they can beat us two games later. True, but Canada may not be as interested in playing their best, best team. 
That's true. That's a good point. Depending on how things kind of shake out, right? Yeah. Um, well, hey, should we uh, save the rest for in a couple of weeks? Yeah, we'll save the wax for a couple of weeks. Um, let's talk about some European soccer action, and let's talk about that Monster Energy Cup final, a.k.a. the Carabao Cup, a.k.a. I've literally just now realized, is it actually called the Monster Energy Cup final? No, it's the Kraut. I think it's the Carabao Cup final. Okay, okay. But isn't, it, that an, I, isn't Carabao an energy drink? I have absolutely no idea what Carabao is. I know what a Caribou is. <laughs> I know what Caribou Lou is. <laughs> 151 rum. <laughs> Pineapple juice. <laughs> um, so clear, clearly the Carabao sponsorship is doing wonder, wonders. Yeah, uh, nobody knows what the fuck it is. I no, 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 this no. is why I've always just called it the League Cup. Yeah. Or um, just like, it's the, it's, it's the cup that I don't care about. Yeah, which sounds true. like Caribou. Carabao. Also, also true. Uh, Liverpool and Chelsea played in one hell of a final that had multiple disallowed goals. And yeah. went to an 11-10 penalty shootout. Here's the best part. In the shootout, Kepa was subbed in, which was the right decision. Because he has, like, I think penalties against him go in at a rate of about 72%. And penalties against Mendy go in at a rate of about 91%. So it was the right decision. Yep. Doesn't come close to saving a single penalty. I, don't, I, think, I, think, I think he only goes guesses the right way once. Yes, I think that's correct. Then he has to take a kick to keep the shootout going. And he fucking launches this thing to the moon. This thing passed Sergio Ramos's penalty from a few years back in, in orbit. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think that penalty is unfairly held against Ramos, who has a career incredible record. penalty record. record. But yeah. we, but people always remember that one, which I do feel a little bad for him about because he is a very good penalty taker. But yeah, that one is rough. Honestly, that guy's had enough accolades in his career that I don't feel bad about shitting on him for this. It's this and Sergio Ramos gets red cards that I will never, I will oh, never. No. Sergio Ramos getting red cards. No, no, I, I just think that that, uh, that distorts his penalty prowess a little bit. No, no, the red cards are fair game. Oh, no, oh, I, 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 would, I never want to see Ramos lining up to take a penalty against my team because I have a feeling it'll be going in. But every time somebody skies a penalty, I'm always going to say that it, 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 it launched past Ramos's penalty still in orbit. I, I, I'm not going to change that. Uh, also, you know, you mentioned multiple disallowed goals. Also, multiple times that pretty clinical to very clinical players had grade A opportunities in front of goal. And they were not able to either hit the target or they hit the target too well and, and just hit the keeper. And we're talking about, you know, Pulisic, Mason Mount, Salah, Mane, really everybody but Lukaku because he was too fatigued to play this game or something. Yeah, I don't know, man. Tuchel's weird. There's <laughs> some weird shit going on there. Yeah. Um, so, th- thought I'd mention that game, um, and kind of that'll segue us into the Premier League. As we predicted at the beginning of the season... It's basically a two-horse race between... It's like it's like every fucking season is a nightmare for me because it's a two-horse <laughs> race between fucking City and Liverpool. I want to fucking kill myself. More on that later. Uh, actually, more on that now. It seems like the top four is going to be City or Liverpool, one of those two. Then whichever. Well, the top four will be both of those two. Right. And then Chelsea and then Arsenal. I think Arsenal have it in the bag. Yeah, I mean, with the three games in hand they have over 
the teams right below them in the in the table um, definitely make you feel like they've got in, in the form that they're on, right? They, yeah, in, they, in, they, in they totally past, turn around their season. In years past, Arsenal would have you know could have multiple games in hand, but you could bank on them to lose one and maybe draw one and maybe win one that like goes against the run of play, but they have really turned it around. They've got great performances. You know, I, I, I think it's hard to say because they've been so fucking inconsistent, but Tottenham are two points or, th- or, one, or three points back of Arsenal. Arsenal have only one game in hand on, on Tottenham. So, you know, maybe three to six points ahead with how many games we have left that, that little battle is not, not done, uh, but yeah, West West Ham in sixth and United in fifth. It's those three games in hand that Arsenal have, and the way that they're playing that just makes me feel like they are pulling away from from you guys. Well, back in August, I was sitting in this very room, and you were presumably in that room. I was in this very room, and I, I said, "I don't think Manchester United are going to finish in the top four this year." Yes. And you said they weren't going to finish in the top four. And now... I think I, I, I have them as a shock to second place. And now here we fucking are. And Donnie, after that second game when Pogba had like nine assists on the season or something, I was feeling so good. Or seven assists or something. He, he, had, he had a ridiculous number of assists like two or three games in. Yeah, he's like fourth in the Premier League in assists. <laughs> he got like eight of them in like two games at the beginning of the season. He's The dude's missed like... Two months of the season. Yeah. Um, the problem say- with Manchester United is that they're very, 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 very bad. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like now you're finally starting to understand. Like, here's, lo- here's- look at me. No, look at me in the eyes. <laughs> look at me in the eyes. Harry Maguire. Might be the worst soccer player on the planet. Dude, isn't he the most expensive defender of all time? He's the worst defender of all time. <laughs> His talent to, to dollar ratio is astronomically low. This goal... Okay. <laughs> the goal against Manchester City... Where he, where you just let it go in between his legs. Where he, he dummied it. in front of his own goal! He dummied it to the opponent in front of his own goal as the goalie was on the ground having just made a great save. If there's ever a time where you clear the fuck the ball out is when your keeper just dove to make a great save. Yeah. Uh, he is, yeah. Here's R- the, here's Ralph is the, also not a good coach. I don't know if he's going to be a good, if he's a good technical director, but he's not a good coach either. Yeah. And also, a lot of our players suck. And a lot of players who have in the previous years have been good for us really suck this season. That's that's and and, and then one player, one player who's been really bad for you in previous seasons is having a great season. He's having an okay season. And for him, that's great. And also, Donnie, I really think he's like a top three consistent player for you guys this season. I think Jaden Sancho has been the best outfield player of the season. Yes, but he, I said top three consistent. Sancho was 
Sancho now is not what he was. You know, he he's come a long way from. Well, you, listen, every it's the Premier League. Everyone gets in a grace period to adjust. He's adjusted. Yeah, he is the only player in that first half against Manchester City, which they fucking just clobbered us. He was the only player that I was like, okay, he looks fucking very competent. Yeah. Also, I didn't love the personnel selection that, for Man City. That goes back into Ralph being a very, very bad coach. You know, yeah, it's interesting because, like, he had that stint, the double stint in the Bundesliga. I forgot where he was first, but then he ended up at Leipzig and, you know, brought this whole system process and was well, well-renowned, but I'm pretty sure he burned out pretty quick at Leipzig, and then he hasn't really done anything since then. And I think the game has passed him by. I don't know what this fuck is happening. I, I don't know what the fuck to think. I, I do want to I do want to call attention to one thing. Uh, when he first took over, he kind of relegated Luke Shaw to the bench. Yes. And what, there was a, a, a statement that yes. Ragnar There was there was a leak that apparently. You know things are going well when you start leaking stuff. Yeah, Ralph is leaking stuff to fucking Mark Ogden at ESPN. That no one in the Manchester United team has mental resiliency (laughs) in that they do not do well when faced with um, adversity, which is, by the way, something that I have been saying about this Manchester United team for years. Nobody nobody ever listens to me, but then Ralph says it. Now we're all going to fucking suck each other's dicks about it. That the only two players who have mental resiliency are Scott McTominay, but two, the <laughs> aforementioned Luke Shaw. It's just like... So, honestly, Donnie... I I'm don't sure. think Manchester United are going to win a, a title or be relevant outside of they'll always be a big name because of the history. They'll always be a blue-chip blue program in soccer because of history. I do not think they will win a title in the next 15 years. Okay. Can I give you a counter to that? No. Well, I'm going to anyways. <laughs> Let's wind the clocks back five years. I'm pretty sure I said almost an exact statement to you off, off recording about Milan. Yeah, but I knew you would be wrong about that. But I I only knew you would be wrong because you're the one who said it. Things that you say do not happen. When you say Manu's going to finish in the top four, I know it means we're going to probably fuck. Dude, you know what? Fuck it. Thank you, Eric. Because of you, Manu gets to be the first team to win the Champions League, Europa League, and the Conference League. Whatever the fuck that is. (laughs) Everything you say doesn't come true. So, rewinding the clock five years, I knew Milan were going to be fine because you fucked, you like reverse jinxed them. And you know what? Oh, wait, before we leave the Premier League, Frank Lampard was brought in (laughs) and replaced Rafa Benitez. He has won one game and lost four. Holy, including today, getting drubbed by by Tottenham 5 0, which started out. (laughs) <laughs> with a very funny Michael Keane own goal, who, by the way, used to play for Manchester United. 
also before we uh, dip off of the uh, I got two things that we want to cover one I'll let you okay uh, Donna just come back and pause this shit I'm not vamping while you pee <laughs> I'm leaving that in the podcast <laughs> Sorry about that interruption in your regularly scheduled programming. Um, we decided to leave in that little gap in there for you guys as a treat, so you can kind of see what happens behind the podcast. A there, little, a little inside, a little inside baseball for you all, you know. <laughs> but Eric, uh, as you were saying, one thing you wanted to mention before we leave. The there's, there's two. There's two. One, I'll let you kind of touch on um, because it's your team. Uh, but since the last time we potted, there was a very disturbing uh, development with you know one of the young players of of united uh talking about mason greenwood and you know obviously the the club acted very swiftly and very quickly uh but you know i'll I'll let you kind of yeah so um mason greenwood's former girlfriend harriet robson uh she released some just some horrific photos yeah of herself just truly beaten to a pulp and you know, and something that kind of came as a shock to everyone, Mason Greenwood, who appeared to be a very mild-mannered individual, turns out to be a sociopathic scumbag. Um, you know, the everyone was shocked and appalled and disgusted, and those were all the right reactions to have. And then he was he was immediately you know uh, suspended indefinitely suspended from definitely from the team and everything. Arrested, charged with. Uh, assault, yeah. sexual assault, uh, with charged with threats, just charged with a whole bunch of things. Uh, he's lost all of his endorsements and sponsorships, as should be the case. Um, it must have been really hard for Harriet Robson to come forward in yeah. in a city like Manchester with a young talent like that, who's so highly viewed and has such elevated status. That must have been put so much pressure on her, and she must have been so scared. And I can't for a second imagine what she went through, but just. I hope that she knows that the Own Goal podcast fam just commends her for her bravery of speaking out because she was put in just such a fucked up position by a really fucked up person. And, you know, I hope Mason Greenwood has, gets, has everything coming to him by the English judicial system. And, you know, just be careful about uh, idolizing athletes because you, you don't know who they are. You don't know. You just don't know. And, and obviously, we, we just want to touch on this because we didn't want to make it seem like we gloss over, you know, bad shit that happens with, with our clubs. So that's that. Um, now, there is something else that I want, I want to touch on. And actually, two more things because there's one that we have to get to that we could have glossed the preamble. Uh, but before we jump there, we have a new American in the Premier League, Donnie. Yes. Uh, Jesse Marsh has taken over Leeds uh, United after Bielsa was uh, terminated because Leeds are not very good this they, season. They are kind of dog shit this season. Um, yeah, bad. So, a couple things. Really exciting. You know, we all have been following Marsh since he moved over to RB uh, Salzburg in the Austrian Bundesliga. Had an unfortunate stint at RB Leipzig where he was, you know, want, it sounded like there was a pretty big disconnect. When Nagelsmann came into Leipzig, he kind of took them away from the high presser, high pressure, high pressing system. And Marsh wanted to bring that back. And a lot of the players didn't want to go back to that system because it's exhausting and you have to be at an absurd fitness level to maintain it for a full season. 
Uh, and so you see he ran into a, a bit of friction there. Also, you know, Le- Leipzig had their best defenders, both of them pilfered by uh, Liverpool and Bayern, uh, you know, and just all, all that usual Bundesliga bullshit. So it's really exciting to see, you know, we're all hoping that, I was like, I hope next season Marsh gets, you know, uh, an opportunity somewhere back in the Bundesliga or maybe somewhere in La Liga or, or France or, or Italy. So to see him jump right into the Premier League is exciting. What's concerning is looking at the relegation battle at the moment. Mm. Leeds are heavily ensconced in there. So, Real quick, Norwich are at the bottom with 17 points. Mm. Watford are right next to them with 19 points. They've both played 27 games. Then we have Burnley and Everton that are 18th and 17th. Burnley at 21 points, Everton at 22 points. Uh, And then Leeds right above them at 23 points. But Burnley and Everton have played one and two less games than so, you know, if, if Burnley win their one game in hand, which, you know, they've only won three games, so it's not exactly a given. But if they win their, if, if they win their game in hand and if Everton draw their one of their two games in hand, Leeds would be in the 18th spot in, in the drop zone. Mm. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's not looking great. Now, fortunately... You know, if Burnley draw their one game in hand, they'll still be in 18th spot, but Leeds would only have one point above the drop. So there's a, a lot to be worried about. Leeds have been racked with injuries to key players. Uh, Bamford and Phillips have been out for all season. Bamford was on the bench uh, in their last game, so he's coming back to, to fitness. Uh, hopefully Calvin Phillips can come back too. I think we all agree that the the ideal story here would be Leeds stay up, avoid relegation, and then Jesse Marsh is reunited with his boy Brendan Aronson in the Premier League next season. Yep. That'd be ideal. Did we mention that the Saudis bought Newcastle and they're going to be a super team of blood money? Did we? I thought... I think we we mentioned it was about to happen. I don't think we ever confirmed it. So we've got two ownership conversations to have. Yes, we One do. is the Saudis have bought Newcastle and are just, you know, flushing blood money into uh, into the team. Mm-hmm. And we can say blood money because the Saudis are the people that killed Jamal Khashoggi, uh, among many, many other bloody atrocities. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we have both well in advance of anything going on in Europe, have said that the Saudis should not be allowed to purchase this team. Mm-hmm. So, I don't feel hypocritical there. Because... It, it, These it, are, it's also a different situation. I don't feel hypocritical either. These are the people directly responsible yeah. for the atrocities benefiting. Yeah. They're not... It's not an unfortunate effect of people who are who are pretty much unrelated to the decision making. These are the decision makers who did <laughs> these terrible fucking things. That's it's not hypocritical for either of us to say this is bad. We both agree if you if you are the person or the group doing the, the bad things, you should be punished. Yeah, we, that, we definitely uh, agree so, on that. So New, Newcastle, by the way, have skyrocketed up to uh, 14th place on the table. Coming after they, the United's eighth conference league spot. They they are 
seven points above the drop currently. So you got to feel there's uh, Burnley, Watford, and Norwich don't have it in them to close a seven point gap uh, at this point in the season or at any point this season. So there, unfortunately, you know, I think a lot of us were hoping that Newcastle would get relegated only because of the the, the purchase, uh, but they'll be here next season and, and be ready to see a ridiculous amount of cash flow in transfer market. Now that you know players, players, I think were a little nervous to go to Newcastle in the winter market because they didn't want to join somebody that was going to get relegated. So that's going to be a, a fucking mess and a headache to deal with. But also, Donnie, we got to touch on Chelsea ownership. Yes. Um, in a shocking development, Chelsea's a Russian oligarch owner, Roman Abramovich. Also commonly known as Putin's wallet. Is selling is announced that he is going to... First, he stepped away from Chelsea and gave control to their uh, board of some charitable foundation related to Chelsea. And the board's like, we are a non-profit. We cannot cannot take stewardship of your for-profit business. And then he's announced that the club is for sale and that he will donate all the proceeds from the sale to the Ukrainian effort, which I will believe that when it happens. Words are empty. Yeah. So interesting to note, you know, so yeah, he said all net proceeds. So after like covering the closing costs of like lawyers and, all, and the bank in the transaction, uh, it is worth noting that he has about 2 billion euros of, of loans that he has given to Chelsea football club that he has not yet called back. And he claims he is not going to call them back. Uh, so he's, he's claiming that, the majority of the two billion that he's asking for for Chelsea is going to go into a a fund that he's setting up to go to the Ukrainian people. Also, to put some perspective on things, I think in twenty twenty one he made three hundred fifty million dollars from from one of his like r- r- the Russian state entities that he's a heavy share in. So it's not exactly like he's going to miss the two. Oh, oh, oh! He uh, also. Uh, one week before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, he transferred, you know, he had a bunch of these shares in this company that makes all, all the tanks and artillery for the Russian army. And he transferred a bunch of his shares that were like being held by, you know, uh, dummy corporations into his name and cashed out on a shit ton of the stuff for war profiteering off of the invasion and murder of the Ukrainian people. Yeah. So we're not saying. We're not saying this. He's like, there's some some people saying, "Wow, Robert Bromovich doing doing what he can, doing the right thing." Fuck that. This is this is another way. I think another angle of sports washing. Really, we see so many you know people try to get into the the purchasing of, of of these Premier League clubs to sports wash their image. I think he's using the exit strategy to to try to sports wash himself of this ridiculously shitty you know stuff that he's had a major hand. Yep, well said. Well said. Well, I want to jump into the title race that's happening in Serie A. Oh boy. We got a three-horse race, ladies and gentlemen. Top of the table, we have AC Milan on 60 points. Misleading. That is misleading. Are they not top of the table? I, 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 when I look at these things... I look at the table differently, uh, and I think in a more accurate manner. So you don't get a table based on who has total points? 
I looked oh, okay, at... Okay, no. So your method is definitely more accurate. When I look at this table, to me, right now, Inter Milan are on top. Because they have the game in hand, and you assume the game in hand will be a win. And it's it's against uh, Cagliari, who are fucking dog shit, and who technically, if the game cannot be rescheduled due to scheduling issues, will be given a forfeit because they refuse to travel due to COVID reasons. But those COVID reasons were not approved by the league, so they were actually handed a a three nothing forfeit. Then they they got that temporarily. Uh, kind of appealed but if if the game is not able to be rescheduled it'll be a forfeit and also like i said cagliari are dog shit and inter are gonna beat them inter so, who have dropped points in four of their last five league games by the way yes yes but i it, but i do this in all, all the leagues when i when i'm really looking at, at who's kind of where and stuff i i like to factor in especially if it's you know it's hard when you've got three games in hand and it's against varying levels of, of difficulty. But when it's one game a hand against a team who on paper is much worse than you, I, for every team but my, my fact that it is an automatic win. All I'm saying is, by reading the table and the sense of what the <laughs> table looks like, I know, and, and I, the I, table. it's a I close think... title race. And you know what? Inter's poor run of form started after the Milan Derby. You could say it started during the Milan Derby. <laughs> well, yeah, the Milan Derby started things off. Yeah, um, that was a funny. You know, that I think uh, Simeone and Zaghi's uh, post-match press conference was like, "We dominated that game. We didn't deserve to lose it." And like he had a point. They kind of owned us in the first half, but they did not dominate us in the second half. And Drew, you know, Drew did score two goals in like four minutes of, of each other, uh, but. We were we had been building since like the fiftieth minute. It's just just an interesting thing. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I can't call it a title race. Not 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 at this point in time. Uh, the last time there I... are okay. Everyone except for basically Inter has ten games left, and Inter has eleven games. So at what point do you call it a title race at the last game of the season? It is a title race. You, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, at the halfway point of last season, Milan were just a few points behind Inter, and I called it a title race. And then we lost like three straight games, and Inter won like ten straight games. We are nine games away from so, that point. So, point. So, we're in the uh, we, we're seventy five percent of the way in. Donnie, what you said before about whenever I say something about soccer, the opposite happens. If I say we're in a title race, then immediately it'll be over. <laughs> good point. Good point. But I can say you guys are in a title race. Weird, I can't hear anything. I got some static coming in. It, all joking aside, it's going to be a very exciting end to Syria, and I think the most exciting kind of end to who's going to win the league we've seen in a few seasons. Yeah, and and, in no particular order, you've got Napoli, Inter Milan, and Milan all hovering around the top. There was a particular order there. You actually went from third to first on the table in that order. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> so there is that all all famous uh, game in hand that Inter have. Uh, interesting entering this uh, this match week, you had Napoli at fifty seven points, Milan at fifty seven points, Inter at fifty five points. Inter had a game on Friday and won, so they went up to fifty eight. And then on yesterday on Sunday, you had Napoli Milan playing each other in what was an absolutely scintillating game. I don't know if you were able to catch any of it. Unfortunately, uh, I was at the uh, SMU basketball game. 
Yeah, I, I, I watched it like last night on, on – I just – I stayed off of Twitter and the internet for like a full day and just watched it before I went to bed. Um, it was it, it was maybe I'm a little bit biased because I had a vested interest in one of the teams playing, but it was one of those games that while it was one nothing, it was absolutely open-ended. Teams were, were, were pushing, were countering, were countering the counter. Uh, obviously not a lot of clinicality, uh, but it was it was a lot of fun to see. Although, in stoppage time, our right winger, Alexis Salamakers, who I have been much maligned about, uh, missed a golden, golden opportunity. Teo set him up with a perfect goal-scoring opportunity. He was unable to convert. And as a result of that, we do not have an outright tiebreaker over Napoli. That second goal would have given us the tiebreaker on Napoli. We already had the tiebreaker on Inter. uh, But now... Now, we're, now Napoli owned the tiebreaker on us because we're level on head-to-head goal difference, so it goes to overall team goal difference. Interesting. Yeah, uh, and, and Napoli's goal difference is like four or five better than us. So it's, just, it's just interesting that you know it was one nothing. It was in the 93rd minute of 95 minutes. It, it shouldn't it shouldn't really matter, but whiffing on that goal scoring opportunity could have massive implications. Uh, and then also Juventus are only seven points off the top now. Yeah, uh, they are. They, they're, un, they're unbeaten in 14 straight. Yeah. But they just lost a, a, a key player for them who has been key of part of that 14-game unbeaten run, Weston McKinney. So Richard. He, he adds a lot of steel in there, as he does for the U.S. national team. But I think Serie A is a very, very exciting this year in terms of the level of competition, in terms of... You know, I feel like at this point in the season and previous years, we've kind of had an idea of who's going to win. And yeah. It could be one of any three. Maybe, heck, you're right. Seven points isn't a lot. Four teams. Especially when we think about the last last like month and a half where Milan, Napoli, and Inter have all dropped points to, to lower teams. Juve have not. Uh, so it's interesting. And then you even have at Atalanta our – They've got a game in hand on Juve, and they're only six points back of Juve, so they could be three points back of Juve for that fourth-place spot. Uh, Roma are six points back of, of Juve, and Lazio are, are seven points back of Juve. So there's still there's even some, some drama in that fourth-place finish, uh, although I, I, I do think the top four in no particular order will finish with the Milan teams, Napoli, and Juventus as the, the Champions League spots. Yeah, Um I obviously am really rooting for Milan in this, not just because, you know, over the 10 years of friendship we've had, I've, ha- I've, I've developed quite a soft spot for Milan. But I think that uh, Pioli deserves a lot of recognition, and sometimes you don't get a recognition until you win that yeah. big trophy. And I would love for him to get the recognition of what... A, and I, I, I definitely, to you, have been praising him for a couple of yeah. years now, tactically... Yeah. Where I recognize he's, I think he's tactically so good. Um, and also, another guy I really want to highlight who's part of Milan is a guy who I said from his early appearances that this guy was going to be a stud. Rafael Leal. I was going to say, there's two, there's, two that, there's two you could say this for that you've always said are a stud. Well, yeah. And, but Leal has been awesome incredible. this season. So incredible. fucking good. So fucking good. He's been absolutely incredible, uh, and there's rumors that his camp and our camp are just inches away on an extinction. Let's go. Now, 
we've heard that before with players like Donnarumma, Chalanoglu, Kessier. Uh, so like, actually, it's got to the point where where a lot of the Milan internet fans absolutely hate it when we hear those comments because it's it's almost been the kiss of death the last few years. Uh, so so that that's fun. Uh, but also, I I really need this Milan team this season to win a trophy, which means either Coppa Italia or the Scudetto, because it, it or really both. Do- or both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it really does look like this will be our you know, last several years, pretty long-term captain, Alessio Romagnoli's final season with Milan. Uh, it sounds like he's going to be moving over to Lazio. He grew up as a Lazio fan as a boy. And, you know, he kind of got relegated to a, a third, third string center back playing behind Tamori and Kier. Milan have their, their targets set on uh, Dutch defender Sven Botman in the off season. So it's one of those that, like, I hate to see this guy leave. I've been a big Romagnoli fan for for a while, and, and he wanted to negotiate with the club to renew, but the club was like, we're going to put that on hold for a little bit. So now that he's talking with other teams like Lazio, you know, potentially Juventus, I, I can't be mad at him. He's got to do what he's got to do. Uh, but I really want to see him hoist a, a trophy with Milan before he goes. He he could have he could have forced an exit to their league team. To a to a, a, a team you know, that could compete in you know, Champions League years ago when he was at the peak of his form and he didn't he stayed with us when we were really shit and I'd, I'd like to, to see that face reported. Speaking so this is a good spot because we talked about Pioli a little bit. I'd like to uh, go through my um, updated bald manager power rankings. <laughs> so at one, I have Pioli. At two, despite the fact that he's not coached a game this season, Zidane. I have Zidane. <laughs> At three, I have Eric Ten Hag. At four, I have Pep Guardiola. At five, I have Sean Dyke. <laughs> At six, I have Bob Bradley. <laughs> and all the way down at the bottom of this list, at 100, <laughs> I have Greg Berhalter. Yeah, I think at like, uh, like spot number 60 is, is you know, like... Uh, kids youth team, you know, like like kids rec league coaches. Yes. Uh, well above uh, Greg Berhalter. Yes. Because at least they're not happy with, with quote-unquote dominating possession when losing 2 nothing. Yeah, when um when Bill, the accountant, is coaching his U8 soccer <laughs> team, he's going to make sure he's going to yell the fuck out of those kids. <laughs> okay. La Liga. So... Got to give a lot of credit to Xavi, who have Barca unbeaten in their last 11. Yeah. Bringing in guys like Fernand Torres, who's been a really good signing for them. Adame Traore, who's got like four assists already. Aubameyang, who's got more goals with Barca than he had with Arsenal this season. You know, yeah. yeah, a lot of these signings are paying off. Dest is having a resurgence. First, Xavi was like, oh, I love Dest. And Xavi was like, I hate you, Dest. And now Xavi's like, oh, I love Dest again. And so Dest has been getting minutes, which is awesome to see kind of from our from our angle, but give them a, him a lot of credit because La Liga is really interesting. So Real Madrid have been the cream of the crop with 63 points. Eight points behind them, you have Sevilla with 55. Barca are at 48 points with a game in hand. And Atletico and Betis are also at 48 points. So that four, that kind of that third and fourth spots are a log jam. And Real Betis has been actually playing really well this yeah. season. 
Um, Punching above their their uh, their weight class a little bit, which is sure. awesome to see. I want to give a shout out to Jao Felix at Atletico Madrid, who has been really turning it on the last couple of months. Um, had a goal against Manu in the Champions League, then scored in the second minute against Real Betis, and then followed it up with another goal against Real Betis. He's just he's a guy I think has a lot of talent. Just can't necessarily always show that talent in the Simeone system, but he's still really good. I just I I, well, I need to see that guy play for a different manager. I well, just, it'll probably be fucking Manchester City. So I know. Well, maybe maybe it was PSG at some point, right? Also, Benzema and uh, for for Real Madrid, you got to give Benzema credit. He's just still on an. Uh, he is playing so well. It's his fourth straight season of twenty plus goals or something like that. Yep. Uh, and then obviously, obviously, all of them are post Ronaldo. And uh, Vinicius is just again he is having his breakthrough season where. You're looking easily at a top 10, arguably top 5 winger in the world. I, I saw something where Eden Hazard said he's going to try to stay in Ernest Place in, Chelsea, in a, a Real Madrid moving, moving forward next season. He's not going to try to find a move. Well, good luck winning a place even when Vinicius is like a I fucking know. god mode. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just thought that was interesting. So, we're, we're, you, know, you know how this podcast does. We kind of leave La Liga pretty brief. Um, and we'll jump into the boring Liga. Um, Bayern have a nine-point lead. Boring. Dortmund have, uh, what, a five-point lead. Dortmund over. are so bad at defense. It's, it's amazing how it's bad almost, they're. they are. It's, it's time defense. to say goodbye to Mats Hummels. What's sad is that Mats Hummels would be an upgrade for Manchester United over Harry Maguire. But yeah, dude, the guy can't move. <laughs> he can't move. Um, He's the slowest man alive. He's the opposite of the Flash. Dortmund have a really bad uh, medical team. They just hit. There's no way around this. People are dying, Alfred. Yeah. Uh, But But, you know what? Jude Bellingham is nasty. He's so good. He... It's going to suck when Liverpool buy him. Fuck off. I just just feel that. It just feels like it's going to happen. I fucking hate you. I hate it too. I don't love it. I'm gonna, I'm now going to talk about the uh, top four race in the Bundesliga. I'm going to assume that Dortmund's going to make it in the top four, but for that, yeah, they got a five point lead over third place. They've got you know what a nine point lead over fifth place. So I feel like their their lead is comfortable. But it's a point. log jam for spots th- for the third and fourth spot. So you got Leverkusen at forty five, Hoffenheim at forty three, Leipzig forty one, Freiburg forty one. For those of you who have a U.S. men's national team inclination, like we do, would be really dope if Hoffenheim and Leipzig could qualify third and fourth in any order. Because Chris Richards, if his loan gets extended, or if Hoffenheim makes a move permanent, would be playing in the Champions League with Hoffenheim. And if the loan isn't permanent, then Chris Richards would go back to Bayern Munich and make be playing the Champions League with Bayern Munich, who they have been kind of weird the last like month. It also seems like uh, like they are maybe planning to move off on from Nicholas Zula. Moving forward, which means they may want to bring good old a guy they've been yeah, very high on, good old DFW kid Chris Richards back into the fold, and then obviously and they, Leipzig they, they, is they, where Tyler Adams is. Yeah, and, and also Byron's been adamant last two years about only loaning uh, Richards and not right. entertaining any offers. So, like, so if they have plans to move on from a current center back, he's going to figure into he'll at least get some consideration, right? If, yep. if it's worth the move or not, and then yeah, obviously we want. Leipzig to, to make it with Tyler Adams, unless Tyler Adams makes a move to the like Premier League in the offseason or, or 
rumors that Milan are looking at him, which I can't believe, but would sell my fucking kidney to have, see that happen. Um, if, if, if Adams leaves Leipzig, I they're dead to me. Yeah, I don't really give a shit about them if Adams isn't there either. Especially after they, they gave Jesse Marsh that really short leash. Yeah, that was tough. Um, also, also worth noting, Augsburg, where our boy Ricardo Pepe is, are currently 14th. Uh, as a reminder, Bundesliga is an 18-team league. Uh, 18 and 17 auto go down, and 16 plays in a relegation playoff against the third-best team of the Bundesliga 2. So Augsburg have a very brief three-point cushion above the uh, the drop. And I missed this in our uh, Serie A cover, but right now Gianluca Busio and technically Tanner Testman are in a relegation dogfight with Venezia. They are currently 18, so the, the, they're in the drop zone, but they're only one game behind Cagliari, and they also have a game in hand over Cagliari. So be worth watching. Oh, also, by the way, I'm jumping all around. Sorry, but back to Bundesliga. Joe Scali had his first uh, appearance for Martin Gladbach. Uh, of the year after missing a lot of time with COVID and, and needing to get back to fitness. Well, so even if he scores three goals a game for the next four weeks, it's not, it's not like Greg's going to fucking call him up. No. But I, I, it's still good to see. Yes, agreed. When, in the, in the short, when we don't qualify for the World Cup and they eventually fire Greg, in that world, that'll be awesome for Scally to get called up. I don't know if they fire Greg even if we miss the World Cup, honestly. Well, that's not a conversation I want to fucking have right now because it's very upsetting to me. All right, we'll have that conversation in a few weeks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Uber Eats League, PSG has a 13-point lead. That shit's over. Yeah. Poach is finally going to win a league title. Does it really count, though? No, but he somehow didn't fucking do it last year. That's a good point. The guy's like maybe, allergic, the guy is allergic to trophies, and people, maybe want, he, and maybe, people maybe, want him at Man U. I don't understand why. Maybe he threw it intentionally last year, so when he won it this year, you'd be like, and see, it wasn't an automatic given thing. <laughs> okay. Let's finish up. Let's dive into the Champions League. Um, s- Manchester okay, City. We don't, we, don't need, we, we don't need to talk too much about sporting against Man City. No, Man I was City. just going to sum it up in one <laughs> sentence. Yeah, they just fucking... <laughs> It was like, you know that meme where it's like, stop it, he's dead already. He's already dead. Yeah. yeah. It was just, you know, sporting credit to you for being here. It's just like, it's a juggernaut. You can't do anything about him. You just yeah. can't do anything about him. Um, PSG Real Madrid. And so that one, the second leg will be, you're probably listening to this on Tuesday. So it'll be tomorrow for your for those of you who are listening. Um, that first leg Real Madrid sat back and defended, uh-huh. and it was working. So, I, I want to say one thing. You know, this was the first game of the knockout round. And the no-away first... goal rule era. It was the first game to be played. Obviously, it was being played simultaneously with the City game. but like, Yeah, but that doesn't fucking matter. Th- that's an anomaly. It doesn't really count. So there were a lot of people being like, this is what happens when you abolish the rate away away goals rule. These away teams are gonna have no you know no inclination to attack, and it's gonna be boring for everything. I want to say this was the only game of like relatively comparable teams where one team was sat back and absorbed the whole time. So that while it may have felt right with this game, 
it didn't really apply for the rest of, of the round, but also I, I hate that. I, I, I hate that mentality. I agree. Especially when you have the talent like Vincinius and uh, fucking Benz. Yeah. So, 0-0 zero, zero going in to stoppage time, and Mbappe just fucking called game. Just like fucking disappeared into the shadow realm, went through Militao and Lucas Vasquez, honestly, arguably ended their careers in that moment. You know, you know, at the end of what, like the Avengers or something, when we... We cut to Thanos, and he's like, "I guess I'll do it myself." And he yes. puts on the and he puts on the gauntlet. Yeah, that's exactly what Mbappe did, dude. The move to just go <laughs> through Militao and Lucas Vasquez was so nasty, only to be topped by just a fucking that tight angle finish. Just a precision strike. It kind of reminds me of against Barcelona a couple years ago when Mbappe just had that incredible performance against them where he's just like, ah, fuck it, I'm just going to do this shit myself. The only difference difference is, at that time, it wasn't like widely accepted and believed that Mbappe is going to that team next season. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Just, so, it's going to be a really interesting leg. Real Madrid are going to have to open up an attack because they need to at least get one goal at the Bernabeu. Uh, if PSG go through, I will get a hundred dollars from one of our buddies. So that'll be rumors. Nice rumors that Mbappe is now questionable or doubtful for the, the match. Yes. So I saw the video of how he got hurt in training. Why would you fucking be late on Mbappe and tra- like just get pull out? Like you don't need to fucking stop I, on his ankle. Can you come to me for conspiracy corner time? Yes, conspiracy corner time. I think Mbappe got a fucking flogging by Florentino Perez after the last game. Uh. <laughs> and I think I think Mbappe, you know, I, I didn't see who it was that stomped on his ankle. I, I, I just couldn't recognize him. I think he, like, either asked for a favor or paid. He's like, hey, I need you to, like, step on me. And, you know, don't, like, you know, make it look like you're going in, but maybe take some of it off of it. And I, I don't think Mbappe's hurt. I think he's just getting out for this game because his his soon-to-be overlords were... You know Fiorentino Perez was not happy when Mbappe scored. No chance. I know, and it was just such a filthy way to score. It was, it was, and, you know, Speaking you know of Fiorentino Perez... <laughs> This could have fit in at so many different moments in this episode, but he credit to Florentino Perez because he fucking the man never quits. He has been <laughs> thinking while everyone is distracted with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. He and Barcelona and Juventus are trying to revive the fucking Super League. <laughs> God, you know, the man, the man never misses an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, fucking a. Um. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. I was I was just gonna say the way Mbappe scored felt like oh he could have scored at any point in this game if he wanted to yes yeah yeah it was just like he was just like okay I've had enough of this bullshit um, I kind of so I have a prediction here I think Messi's gonna score in the second leg just because <laughs> Messi loves to score at the Bernabeu. free kick free kick ooh. I know what my prop bets are going to be. All Messi right. Let's talk about Salzburg and Bayern, which is going to kick off later today. Thank God. Or or earlier or, or earlier today, if you're listening to this Tuesday night. 
Yes. Or yesterday, if you're listening Today. to this Wednesday. Yeah, or last week, if you're listening to it a week from now. <laughs> we can do this all day. <laughs> we literally have an infinite number of days that we can do this like. Um, so, the, fir- the first tie, though, the first leg, Salzburg fucking took it to Bayern. Bayern coming off of a drubbing, like a 5-2, 5-3 drubbing to FC Bochum. Bless you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, v- VFL Bochum. You, you, you know those memes that are, it's like, what, what seems racist but it actually isn't? <laughs> Speaking German seems racist but actually isn't. Like, the act of speaking German is not racist. It just feels racist. Yeah. And you got the mustache going. <laughs> it's a very different mustache. You guys can't see it, but I'm explaining it's a full it's no. a full like 70s cop mustache. Donnie? I just said you had a mustache going, I didn't say it was a Hitler stash. <laughs> you put that right next to talking about German, so it needed to be be explained. But anyways, let's get back to this game. Salzburg, who, you know, everybody, us included, no, nobody gave them a, a, a chance. Nobody gave them a puncher's chance. And they, they fucking took it to Bayern, that high press, Brendan Aronson, a fucking menace, harassing the defense, harassing the midfield. Um, you know, Adiemi doing his thing with his speed out on the wing. Their starting uh, striker ended up getting hurt like, what, eight, ten minutes into the game. And I, just, I think it was Okafor that got hurt. And they had to sub, uh, you know, a backup striker in and ended up with a great run of play. Ball out to Adeyemi, centers it over to Aronson at the top of the of the box, gets a deft little flick, definitely meant to do it, uh, over to that substitute striker who put it in. Salzburg up one nothing and had a couple more chances after that too. Obviously, Bayern had their had some of their chances look dangerous uh, every now and then, uh, but it, it was starting to feel like Salzburg might be able to hold off for that one nothing win until, of course, you had a ninety minute equalizer by Kingsley Coman, and eventually, just the talent that Bayern has was able to break through. But you know what? Big shout out to Brendan Harrison on that assist because I had him to make an assist at plus five fifty. So. Thank you very much, BA. I appreciate you. Um, in, I, in an inter- interview after the game, Brennan was like, "Oh, we're gonna we're we're, we're gonna take it to them in in in, in Munich uh, on, on the return leg." We we're, he 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 had a hundred percent conviction that they're going to, that they're able to and will win this this tie, and it was it was cool to see that. And as much as I appreciate and love that swagger. And, and, and I would say Byron are not really been playing that well the last month. I still think Byron are going to win. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely still think Byron are going to win. But, Donnie, I do not think it's as foregone a conclusion as I thought a month ago. Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of what will be a foregone conclusion is the Inter-Liverpool tie, which from an Inter perspective is a shame because the first 70 minutes of that game was really even, actually very, very exciting, very good game yeah. back and forth. But in that last 15 minutes, Salah and Liverpool hit the gas and they just they just got to a two-goal lead. And even without away goal rules, I just don't see Inter getting a multi-goal win, a multi-goal lead in, win in, in at Anfield. Like, yeah. I just don't see it happening. Um, so I think Liverpool are going to progress on that one. Um, it was a good game. It was a good game. Uh, Villarreal Juve. Interesting start. Vlahovic, who is, ah, by the way, you, Fiorentina. This guy I can't believe they... 
so nasty. I can't believe they fucking sold Vlahovic to Juve. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, a minute in, in the his, first minute. A minute into his Champions League debut, his first Champions League game ever, scores. Uh, long ball, chases it down, nasty shot, quick turn. The dude is just a born finisher. He's, he's incredible. Uh, but Juve were pretty lackluster kind of the rest of the game. And, you know, second half, I think, what, 80-something minute or something, uh, Villarreal, maybe in the 70s, something, you know, later in the second half, Villarreal got the equalizer. Um, and it, it's, it's outside of, of really that, that Vlahovic impressive opening goal, not a lot to, you know, I think it felt to me like Villarreal had better opportunities as the game went on. Um, I'm I'm kind of leaning Villarreal advance out of this one. Yeah, it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be an interesting game. I, um, you know, at one one and no away goals mattering, um, Villarreal could definitely do it. You know, Juve have have that unbeaten streak uh, going for them mm-hmm. and getting to play. You know, being at home, but I, I think I mean it's anyone's tie. Villarreal played really well. So yeah, Chelsea Lille. Chelsea Lille. Chelsea uh, 2-0 lead. You know, goals from usual suspects, Kai Havertz, and um, wait, what's this, what's this other name on here, Donnie? Uh, Christian Pulisic, baby. No, I thought I thought he was garbage and shit and like one of Chelsea's most overrated players. No chance. Just in a little sump of form. Happens to the best players in the world. He is back to his best, scoring goals for Chelsea. Assisting goals for Chelsea. Assisting goals for Chelsea. Um, had him to score a goal as well. So he another Amer- Yanks helping Yanks. You'll love to see it. <laughs> people, but, people. but yeah, Chelsea, you know, 2-0 win in, in control of the tie. Honestly, for Lille, I think it was it was impressive for them to get out of the group stage. You know, they won uh, Uber Eats League last season and got pilfered a little bit. I feel like I feel like any time a team significantly overperforms, it doesn't even have to be winning the league title, but you know, placing like you know when they should have been placed twelfth, but they come in fifth or fourth, yeah. they always get just absolutely. But especially in league, in league uh, when they when they win, we saw with Monaco uh, a few seasons back, and when, when one league uh, team upsets PSG for the title, they get. They get pilfered pretty quickly. You know, Magnan, the keeper, went to Milan. Sounds like Milan are going back to the well for this defender, Botman, and trying to get Renato Sanchez. Renato, who, who played really well against Chelsea, they just they weren't able to capitalize on a lot of his performance. I know that you've always had a soft spot for the, the young Portuguese international. I do like Renato Sanchez. Um, also, time to talk about big game Havertz. Yeah. Scored in the Champions League final for Chelsea. Scored in the Club World Cup final for Chelsea. I just, I don't, I mean, yes, it, it was a title game, but like the Club World Cup, really, Donnie, you're better than that. The big game. But it's he does, he, he does seem to be a big, a big game goal scorer. Um, it's, yeah. Um, once again, though, uh, I think this was the game that Lukaku set out due to fatigue. Yes. This is a knockout round Champions League game. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on. I think Lukaku is not going to stay there. I think he's going to go back to Inter? I don't know. Where is he going to go? He should go back to Everton. In the championship? 
Lukaku would be the greatest championship striker of all time. <laughs> um, next episode, we will talk about arguably yes, the greatest championship we actually, we, We've got time. a lot of stuff to dive into, and we'll talk about Nottingham Forest. Uh, we'll talk about a couple teams and the wider, uh, the wider race down there. Because uh, it's getting that time of the year where it's always fun to tune in to the jungle, the, pro- the, the promotion fight, the jungle baby. I love it. I've hey, watched Donnie, more championships this year than I have in a while. Yeah, I watch all, I mean, pretty much watch every Fulham game. Mostly Fulham, yeah. Uh, Atletico and Man <laughs> Uh, well, I texted you. I think privately, and I said. It'll be really funny when Jao Felix scores against Man U. And it took him about five minutes to do exactly what I said. And then he texted me, okay, so it wasn't that funny. (laughs) You know what? It wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. But it does does give credence to my theory that what I say does happen. I never knew, I never know how to react to to those moments, by the way. I think like you gotta laugh like we're doing now because like it's just like fucking hey, <laughs> um, and honestly, uh, man, you looked like they were showing up to play a fucking co-rec game for intermural. Well, they, they did not. They did not look up to the moment. Not at and, all, and they were being and, out physical. I mean, it's so obvious. Everyone knows how Atletico Madrid play. We just alluded to it earlier in the podcast and. They were they were they just did not look prepared for this game also, whatsoever. Can we talk about the choice at right right back? You mean Victor Lindelof? If if a team if I know there's gonna be a team that's going to sit in a low block and hit on the counter, there's two things I want out of my fullback. I want speed to keep up with the counter defensively. And I want somebody who's going to be able to contribute to breaking down the defensive block on offense. Two things I don't think you get when you move a center back into fullback. Yeah, that was so fucking dumb. And honestly, Atletico Madrid hit the post like twice in that first yeah. half. They could, they should have put the tie Hector away. Herrera, Hector Herrera almost scored, and that that, that guy sucks. Atletico Madrid should have put the tie away in that game, and they didn't. And then one good pass from Bruno Fernandez and a brilliant touch and finish yeah. from Alanga and Manuel. That was, that was the one where he let the ball go in between his like he let it. That was the way he he kind of let the ball go in between his legs to run it through his body to not break stride was was in, in very impressive. You know, United have a great track record of like these young attacking players that 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 perform. I'm thinking about Marcus Rashford, right? Um, when he was up and coming, had these big moments. Alanga seems like he's just next in that in that 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 long line, which is exciting. Unfortunately, um, what's frustrating is it's like I feel like these young guys have all this potential, and they're not they're not at least reaching those potentials at Man U. Like Martial had an incredible first year at mm-hmm. Man U, and it just seems like it can never consistently capture that. Jay Lins, Jay Lins, exactly. You know Rashford had you know was solid last year and really really good the year before but you know having a really bad down year so it's like like mason greenwood he was good and then was a fucking piece of shit yeah it it just seems like there's a trend where these guys come up and when there's no expectations on them they perform so well but then when they they just seem to all consistently have one thing in common is that when the expectation 
and the pressure starts mounting, they start to crumble a little bit. And so it's kind of like, and obviously maybe Alonso is going to be totally different from those guys, but it's just like, I've, I, it almost feels like I've seen this movie many, many times before. Um, I have, this is one of your, these are two of your three champions league picks going head to head, by the way. I guarantee somebody's getting through. <laughs> Well, I have City as one of mine, so I'm guaranteed they're going through. I have a greater percentage of, of getting that team through than you do right now. I think there's a greater chance that everyone on Man U and Atletico Madrid drop dead from a, some random, unconnected genet- like genetic defect that all 70 players at the two cups combined have than there is for Sporting to come back in their game. If there's any mathematicians out there, please break down those numbers for us. You also need help from like some virologists and some some doctors. Um, I think that Atletico Madrid are going to win this little Trafford. Man, you suck. No comment. <laughs> um, last tie, very exciting because again, it totally in the balance. Benfica Ajax, great game. Yeah, two two first first the uh, first leg. I mean. Ajax have you know Sebastian Haller, uh, Eric Ten Hag. Sebastian as, as Baller, more like it. Yeah, uh, is, is he the leader in goal scored in this Champions League this I season? He is. I think he is. Uh, he had a, a massive group stage. Uh, we've talked about Ten Hag as your. You got him third on the bald uh, manager power rankings. I probably put him at number one right now with Zidane and, and Pioli at, at tie, tied two. That's and, wild to me. But well, continue. Those are your power, uh, your your ball Pioli, power rankings, or your ball Pioli, power. Pioli is missing silverware in, in in his. Uh... Yeah, but he yeah. plays in a much harder league. He plays. In, he's coaching yeah. in a top five league. Yeah, top four league. You can you can call it what it is. Sorry, top four league. I know you like to make sure the Turkish Super League gets its fair due, but you know we can we can just focus on the top four. Um, but I, you know, I think Benfica, Ajax, that's a fun game. You know, it doesn't have a lot of the top four league uh, draw that all you know some of these other draws have. But I, this is this is probably a good chance. This is the most even matchup of of the return legs. Is this two two Benfica Ajax? And also, while not having the you know top five league aspect to it, these are two clubs with incredible incredible history. History, especially in this competition. I would like to say, technically, because of how like the most recent club international competition or uh, European competitions have gone, the Portuguese La Liga is the fifth ranked league right now. Yes, good point. So, so that's why I said it doesn't have the top four draw, but it does have a top five draw. Good point. Good point. So, we've had to cover a lot as we usually do when we go missing for six as weeks. As we usually do. <laughs> as we usually do. Um, but we are kind of pot committed in that we will want to record before yeah. the friendlies gonna... and we'll want to record or not the friendlies, the World Cup qualifiers and we want to record right after. So, uh, hopefully we'll be on a, uh, regular recording schedule before the summer break. We'll be in a holding pattern until the U S release the, the roster. That's usually going to be a good time for us to talk. So that'll so you know, a few days, a week after that that rock, that camp is released, we'll we'll get together. We'll we'll dive deeper into the upcoming matches, go over the scenarios in more depth, and then talk about the roster, 
you know, what fuck ups uh, MLS Greg made, what we hope to see, and just say a community prayer that we don't just shit the bed yeah. two cycles in a row. No kidding. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at OngolPod. You can write to us, OngolPod at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at OngolPod. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. It's in, it's in goal. It's a gift. Oh, it's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. It goes straight into the bottom of the corner. Bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball. It's the inside of his car. Got no chance to the keeper.